Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Awesome. All right. Um, let's see what time. All right. We're going to jump right into this. So we have, uh, last few weeks, we've been unpacking the fear of the Lord. And again, I just, I really just feel drawn to this. I really feel alive. Um, I just, that's some, a lot of times my marker. Uh, I have an idea where we're going to go, and then I stay there depending on how long I just, I feel life on it. It's like, all right, the Lord is here. So there's a number of things I still want to get into, uh, but I kind of, I want to really put a, a finishing touch on the first few weeks of the fear of God. And I can't get into all of the places we've been, but essentially this is what we've done. Uh, we've laid a foundation on the fear of the Lord, because I know there's a lot of misconceptions when you hear that word. Uh, what does that mean to fear God? And ultimately what we've seen is there's two, there's two categories of fear in the scriptures, to make it really simple. There's what you could call godly fear and then ungodly fear. And ungodly fear is the fear of the first Adam. This is the fear that hit the heart of Adam when he sinned that caused him to hide from God. This is the fear that causes us to actually shut down our heart before God. It causes us to withdraw from God. But there is another fear. It's the fear of the second Adam, which is the name of Jesus. It's the fear of the Lord that he walked in, Isaiah 11, and it said he delighted in the fear of God. This is a fear that God puts in us that actually opens our heart to him. And we've described that this fear is this godly zeal, this jealousy. It's actually rooted in love for God. You so love him that you would fear your life ever coming out of alignment with him. It's a, it's a, please understand me, there's a trembling in the fear of God, but this fear that we want to walk in is a delightful trembling. Uh, David said it this way, rejoice with trembling. So what we've, we've been looking at is these two fears, and as a believer, we've really just been saying, what does it mean to walk in, in the godly fear of the Lord? And I feel today, I just, like, I'm, we're going right into this, because I, I want to I wanna share this. I, I've, I feel a lot of Jesus on what we're going to get into Um, before we go into other facets in the upcoming weeks of fear of God, I feel like today is putting an exclamation point on this idea of the two fears. And I have labored the last few weeks to really, to really speak about fear of God for a believer. And we'll do that again. But just to be clear, I am going to also unpack today a little bit of the fear of God for one who does not know the Lord. It's very important. And, and I feel I don't want to put, I feel an evangelistic undertone to what we're going to get into today, all right? So I don't know why exactly, but I just feel there's an evangelistic undertone. Um, I know the Lord leaves the 99 for the one, and you say, what does that look like practically? It looks like a whole service being dedicated for maybe one person. (laughs) It could literally look like that, and so all I know is to be obedient, but I want to, um, yeah, I I want to put, again, this capstone message to these two fears, Okay. So let's, um, let's turn to Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64. So much more that we'll get into over the next few weeks with the fear of God, but this is just, again, I feel like it's the bow for where we've been. Isaiah 64. Guys, I really encourage you that when we go into the Word, you know, we don't have a screen in here. Make sure you have your Bible. (laughs) Make sure you have, whether it's a hard copy, whether it's your phone, like, 
it's really hard to track without the word of God before you. So I want to encourage you as a shepherd to have the word that you could really follow and engage. It's not for me. It's honoring the Lord and his love letters to us. So Isaiah 64, I'm going to read in a moment. Here's my asterisk is that some messages that I share, they, um, they all are really coming back to one point. This, I feel like we're going to be building, and it's really important that you just track with me. I, I believe it's simple, but there's a depth that we're going to hit, and then we're going to pray at the end, okay? It's going to be glorious, but it's also, it's going to be intense. Yes. <laughs> Every single thing trembles before the manifest presence of God, okay? Everything trembles before the presence of God. Everything and everyone, when it comes before God and his presence, and I mean the fullness of his presence, begins to be opened up, every single thing begins to shake. Whether it is a physical demonstration or if it's something that we experience on the inside, everything trembles before the Lord because everything is overcome by the tremendousness of his glory. This is why even last week we, talk, we spoke about who is this man who calms seas, who is this man who, when his presence comes into the city of Jerusalem, every heart is moved? Who is this man that claims forgiveness is found in him? Who is this man who says he is the firstborn over original creation and over new creation? When we come before this King Jesus, the only right response is there is a trembling that begins to touch our hearts. And I'm not going to go through all of the examples on this, but man trembles before the Lord. There's probably more, but I found in the scriptures Abraham. Joshua, David, Ezekiel, Daniel, Paul, John in the book of Revelation. All of these men, when they had an encounter with God, they began to tremble before him. In fact, often, their only response was, I feel as if I'm going to die. <laughs> and I actually think there's something glorious in that. But they said, I feel as if I'm going to die. We're going to get into Isaiah 6 in the upcoming weeks, the holiness of God Guys, I feel like, right, for me personally, I'm on a journey where, where I, my mind is being really renewed to the knowledge of God. And when we grow in the knowledge of God, something happens to us. Every single person that comes before God, when he manifests his presence, there is a trembling that they experience. The only way I can explain it, the illustration I have, is when something short circuits. <laughs> and there's a lot of reasons that something can short circuit, but one of the reasons is the load is too much for the source. <laughs> There's just too much watts. There's too much voltage, and the source can't handle it, so it burns out. When we come, when our finite bodies come before the infinite one, like just think, he's infinite. You say, where did God start? He has no beginning. <laughs> he has no end. <laughs> I say this often, but if you go to Genesis and then go back a billion years from Genesis 1-1, you'll be no closer to his beginning because he has none. <laughs> he is forever. Like, Every time we climb a mountain of one of the characteristics of God, once you think you've gotten to the climax, you realize your journey's just begun. For every single characteristic. And therefore, as we draw nearer and nearer and we encounter this living God, our bodies can't handle it. It's why we need a glorified body to dwell with him in the new heavens, new earth. Our finite bodies can't handle it. So you see throughout scripture that man just comes and it's like they short circuit before God. And there, there's just like glory that touches them. But it's not, listen, it's not just man that trembles. I want you to see how big this God is. It's not just man that trembles. In Isaiah 6, when, when Isaiah has the vision of 
Uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, right, exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. He talks about the holy seraphim who are holy creatures, and even they have to cover their eyes before the holy being of God. But in verse 4 of chapter 6, it says, as all these voices are coming forth, Isaiah was in the actual temple when he had this vision, and it says the foundations of the temple began to shake. Not only man shakes, the temple begins to shake when God's presence begins to manifest. Listen, he, just hear these scriptures. There's, this is just scratches the surface. Nahum 1.5 says, At the appearing of the Lord, the mountains quake before him. Oh, the mountains quake before him, and the earth heaves before him. Have you ever dry heaved? Not to be gross, but that is a violent thing when you dry heave. When God's presence draws near to something, it begins to heave. It's glory. You can't contain the Holy One. Something happens where man begins to tremble. And as all the things that we've shared, this is so glorious because this breaks boredom, this breaks sin, this restores fascination because we were made to tremble before the presence of God. Yes. Psalm 104, 32, just listen to this one. It says, God is the one who looks on the earth and it trembles. <laughs> he just has to look on the earth and all of the earth trembles. Acts 4, 31 the disciples prayed for boldness. The Spirit of God filled them, and it said the place that they were praying began to shake. Why? Because the presence of God began to fill them freshly. Even the place that they were meeting began to shake. Psalm 114.7 says, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of God of Jacob. All of the earth tremble. Jeremiah 5.22, the Lord said to his people, should you not tremble in my presence? Actually, what he was saying to them is, why are you not trembling anymore in my presence? And again, what we've been talking about, there is, is a glory tremble that he wants us to have. What has happened where we've become so flippant with this God, so casual before this God? Where is the tremble in his bride again? Where is the awesomeness that when we gather together, we recognize who it is that we are meeting with? So, so often, I just really want to share this, you'll find a connection between humility and the fear of God. See, because here's what happens, is when we come together in the fear of the Lord, all of a sudden we recognize this is not about any one of us trying to step on stage and be seen here. It's not about, oh, I need my voice to be heard, and if it wasn't, I'm offended. It's none of that. When we come in before God with the fear of the Lord, in one accord with this, we come low and say, he is the Holy One, be lifted high. And there is this trembling where actually we say, God, whatever you want to do, you do it. There's actually fear to even touch things, what he's doing. I've recognized that. So I want to be so quick to say things. There's some times I'm recognizing, Lord, I don't want to touch this. <laughs> I don't want to touch what you are doing. So everything trembles before God. People, buildings and structures, temples, mountains and the earth, everything shakes when God comes. And this is why, I want you to hear me. Just stay with me. This is why... When it says, when the Son of Man returns, the heavens and earth will be shaken once more. Now just hear me. Hebrews 12, 26, a well-known scripture. It, it goes back to Haggai. It says, once more, God says, I will shake the heavens and the earth. And everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And everything that cannot will become visible before man, which is the kingdom of God. When the Son of Man returns, guys, 
There is a day coming. There is a day coming when the heavens will be rend open. And the Son of Man is going to become coming in, riding in on the clouds. He is going to come in in the Shekinah glory clouds. And what this says is that when this man comes and the heavens are torn open and the victorious king comes back to establish the new heaven and new earth, it says there will be a shaking on the heaven and earth that will touch every single person, every single structure. There's not a single thing or person that will not be unaffected by the coming of this man. Everything will tremble before this man when he comes. And the question is, what type of trembling is going to grip the universe when the Son of Man returns? And what I have found in the scriptures is actually there are two types of tremblings that are going to cover the earth, and it's the two types of fears that we have been talking about. Simultaneously, as the heavens are cracked open and the Son of Man comes, you will find those trembling with an ecstasy of delight because their Redeemer has come, and you will also find those trembling with an ecstasy of terror because their judge has come. But trembling will come, and my question is, where will we be found when the Son of Man returns? What trembling will grip our hearts when he comes back? And if you are a believer, don't you dare go into the wrong trembling. Don't you dare let the devil bring you into it. Let your heart rejoice. That perfect love casts out fear, the fear of judgment. You've been set free. So twofold, if you don't know the Lord, I want you to get set free into the right fear of God. And number two, if you do know the Lord, I want you to be so confident that when Jesus returns, that thought fills your heart with an ecstasy of delight. It's the awe-filled trembling that God wants us to have. You know, I thought about this this morning. I'm going to, I just, to give you content, I don't really share so much of this. I am not one to have a lot of dreams, um, just in general, and then especially spiritual. But I have some, and when I do, I just know, like for me, they're from the Lord. And there are two dreams in particular when I was younger that I can remember vividly. It's like, I didn't even really know the Lord then. I didn't. And yet I know that it was from God. And I don't know the full meaning, and I don't know if I'll ever see this, but here's one of the dreams that I had, as I remember clearly, I remember today, like, like it was just today, I, I was in a city, and I was walking down a street, and I felt a quaking. <laughs> and I saw, and I looked up, and I saw these clouds coming in. How many of you have ever seen Independence Day? Yeah. Do, you, do you know? Do you, <laughs> that's a good movie. <laughs> do you know when that ship comes in? Do you know those massive clouds that begin to billow in? This is what I saw. I saw the whole sky filled with these clouds, and I said, oh my goodness, he is here. I said, oh my goodness, he is here. And I remember, I remember seeing two things happening. There was a measure of chaos. I remember people screaming in terror, but I remember one man in particular, an African-American man right next to me, fell on his knees and began to lift up a praise in tongues that I'll never forget. And he was worshiping in tongues. And I remember watching this, this man praising, other men are running around. And I'm saying, oh my goodness, Jesus is here. <laughs> now, I don't know if I'll ever see that, but I've been marked by that. And what we're going to look at is that there were two fears that I saw gripping humanity as Jesus was coming back. You follow me? So I want to look at one of these fears first, the good one. It's probably always good to start with that. <laughs> and then we're going to look at this other one. But stay with me because the good news is, is that Jesus has made a way for everyone to embrace the delightful tremble before the Lord. 
So I want you to, oh my goodness, I didn't read Isaiah 64. Wow. Let's read this. Let me read this. I should. We open up there. Isaiah 64 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Do you know that this was partially fulfilled at the baptism of Jesus? Mark 9 says the heavens were rend open and the Spirit of God came down. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. But there's one more day this will happen again. That the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil. (laughs) God is a consuming fire. What this is saying is that when his presence draws near to the earth, it will be like fire to a pot of boiling water. What happens when the fire touches the water, when it begins to boil? It begins to snap and pop. (laughs) It begins to shake. And what this is saying is that once more the heavens will be rent open, God will come down, and it will be like a boiling pot of water, the entire earth. Everything is going to be shaken by the consuming fire. To finish verse 2, it says, To make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. Verse 3, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. Everything trembles before the Lord. I want you to come with me to 1 Chronicles 16. First Chronicles 16. Two types of trembling are going to cover the earth when the Son of Man returns. And 1 Chronicles 16 reveals one of these. And I think this is honestly, it's amazing because when I hear the word tremble, my first thought is that always sounds negative. We're going to look at a glorious tremble that's going to come upon the earth. Now, 1 Chronicles 16 is an episode in the life of King David. King David is one of the clearest pictures of King Jesus, okay? Very important. Everything about David's life is a type and shadow and a picture of what will ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus. David is not greater than Jesus, but Jesus is considered the son of David. He sits on the throne of David. David is a very important figure. And what you have happening in this text, and you must hear this, is that the Ark of the Covenant, which is representative of the presence of God in the Old Testament, What the ark is in the old covenant is what Jesus is in the new covenant. Under the former king Saul before David, the ark of the covenant, God's presence, God's throne, was put off into a barn in Kirith-Jerim and left there for maybe up to 70 years, which meant during the leadership of Saul, the presence of God was was a side issue. There was humanistic leadership. When David came to rule, the very first thing David did is not fix the political arena. He didn't go to even economic reform. He said, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to get the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, and we're going to put it right back at the center of this people. And we're going to worship God day and night, which is part of the house of prayer that we do. But what we're about to read in 1 Chronicles 16 is the time when David is having the Ark actually be brought into Jerusalem. This is God's presence coming into Jerusalem. Or more specifically, it represents the throne of God. So God's throne is coming into Jerusalem, and you're seeing David lead the people in this song. But everything about this is a prophetic picture for when Jesus returns, because you know where he's going to establish his throne? In Jerusalem. 
So when the Son of Man returns, he's not just coming anywhere. His throne and his kingdom on earth in its fullness is going to go right into Jerusalem. And the song that David released is actually a foreshadow of what's going to touch the earth for the believers that have been waiting for their Redeemer. So look at verse 29. Oh, it's so good. It says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Here comes the throne of God into Jerusalem, the presence of the Lord. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Now look at verse 30. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. So here comes God's presence coming into Jerusalem to establish his throne. And David says, let all the earth tremble. Wow, this is what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. The whole earth is going to tremble. What type of trembling is David speaking about? Look at the next verse, verse 31. Let the heavens be glad. (laughs) And let the earth rejoice, and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar, and all that fills it. Let the field exult, and everything in it. Verse 33, then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. (laughs) So... As Jesus comes back and brings his throne to establish the new heaven, new earth into Jerusalem, David gives us a picture that there is going to be a quaking that touches the earth that is rooted in pleasure that the Redeemer has come. It will not just be humans. He's literally saying, let the sea, let the earth, let the mountains, let the trees. Why? Because Romans 8 literally says all of creation is in bondage too. Even creation is groaning for their liberator to come. And David sees and presents a picture that when this Redeemer and Liberator comes back to the earth, everything is going to shake with delight that has seen him as a Redeemer. Every single thing. The only way I can picture this, this type of trembling, is the picture of a child on Christmas morning. (laughs) And he arises early, (laughs) and he's waiting to open gifts, and he is so excited, but right when he's about to do it, his mother says, not yet. Your father and your brother, they need to wake up and come downstairs. Now, God is not sleeping, but they still need to come down. And so this young boy is literally, can't contain himself. He's trembling with delight, shaking over the excitement, but he's waiting for his father and brother, and finally he sees them coming down the stairs. And there is an eruption of joy for the one he's been waiting for now has come, and therefore everything he's been waiting for is his. This is what it will feel like. Guys, if you don't have this, Ask the God to fill you with this joy at the thought of his return. This is the trembling of your heart being thrilled and filled with awe. This is what David meant when he said, rejoice with trembling. Oh, the awesome one, your liberator, your redeemer, your rescuer is here. What a glorious day. Second Chronicles 7, hear this. It says, when Solomon dedicated the temple, he prayed. And the fire of God came on the temple after he prayed. And then the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And it says the glory was so intense that none of the priests could enter into it. But not just that. It said all of Israel, when it saw the fire and glory, fell face down on the pavement and began to worship God, saying God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. 
I want you to know what, that, what happened in that temple. When the glory filled the temple, that is a prophetic picture of when the glory of God is going to fill the earth, it says. It will cover the earth as the water covers the seas. There is going to be a holy adoration, a holy falling before him, trembling with delight over his awesomeness, and that for all of eternity, we will be able to walk and live with him. This is one type of trembling that will grip us, a fearsome wonder. But there is another type of trembling that we have not really stepped into yet that will also grip the earth when the Son of Man returns. You guys with me? Everything trembles before the presence of God. That's why when Jesus comes back, the earth and, and heaven is going to be shaken. One of them is a delightful tremble that redeemers here. But I would not be a good shepherd if I did not bring to you the full counsel of God's word, which is that there is another trembling that will also grip the earth. And it is, it is, the scripture says, one of dread and terror. It is real. <laughs> And it is intense, and I've had to pull back from scriptures to, to even go into it, but it is real. But I want you to hear me, stay with me, that the heart of the Father is that none, none would experience this. Come with me to Isaiah 33, verse 14. I'm just going to share this quick, and then I want to share one in Revelation 6. Isaiah 33, 14, God is bringing a measure of judgment on the, Babylonia, uh, um, on the Israelites through the Babylonian captivity. And again, all of these things are actually pictures. They're little pictures and previews of what will happen on a global scale when Jesus comes back. When Jesus returns, he comes back as bridegroom, king, and judge. We need to know him in every single way. Bridegroom, king, and judge. And they're all glorious. They really are. I feel one of the things that I want to recapture is we're almost embarrassed of certain aspects of Jesus. I'll talk to him about bridegroom, but I don't want to talk to him about judge. I don't understand. I'm embarrassed of him this way. Listen, the reason why we have a hope of new heaven, new earth is because the judge is going to purge the earth of all unrighteousness. It's unto his goodness that he's going to judge. He's going to make all things right. And his heart is that it's a judgment of righteousness. His heart is that all will come under righteousness. How do you do that? Faith in Christ. It's the only way. It's not good works. It's nothing else. You call upon the name of the Lord. When the judgment of righteousness comes, you will have faith and hope that you are going to be established firmly in Christ and be with him for all of eternity. Isaiah 33, 14. But here's like a, just a small snippet of when judgment was coming. The judge was coming through the Babylonian captivity. It says, the sinners in Zion are afraid. Look at the next word. Trembling has seized the godless. Wait a minute, David just talked about a trembling of joy and delight. That's right. Here's another type of trembling. It is the fear of Adam that is afraid of God. It has seized the godless. And they will say this, who among us can dwell with this consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with this consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? Now come with me to Revelation 6. We're just teaching through this. Verse 15 to verse 17. Revelation 6. There's so many other texts we can go to, but I think this gets the point across that there's another type of trembling. This one, it's seizing the godless, it says. Revelation 6, verses 15 to 17. 
at the returning of the Lord, here is the climax of this edemic, ungodly, demonic fear. It says in verse 15, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone that has rejected the lamb. That's what it's talking about. Slave and free. What they do? Hid themselves in the caves. What did Adam do when he sinned? He hid himself. This will be the climax of those who have never come into faith in Jesus is when the Son of Man returns, they will desire to hide themselves in fear of God rather than rejoicing that the Redeemer has come. They hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. There's a lot of, um, uh, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of uh, symbolism in all these things, but it's, it's, it's intense. Verse 16 says, Calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. It's amazing it says the Lamb, because the Lamb died for them and took the wrath of God. <laughs> but they have rejected it. I can't imagine the heart of Jesus looking upon those that have rejected him, but because he is a just judge, he will fulfill what he has said. Because he is good, and he will bring the heaven, new heavens, new earth, he will judge the earth. And it says, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Jeremiah 10.10 says, At the wrath, at his wrath, the whole earth trembles. So two tremblings are happening. Guys, here is, here is the picture. Everything trembles before God. And when Jesus returns, there is going to be simultaneously two tremblings that are covering the earth. One, again, is going to be an ecstasy of joy and delight while other will be an ecstasy of dread and terror. Simultaneously, believers are going to be filled with delight that Redeemer has come, and unbelievers will be filled with dread that Judge has come. Simultaneously, this will be happening. And so what you have happening right now is that these two fears exist right now. Ungodly fear and godly fear. And what you see happening on the earth, hear me. There is a building, a swelling, and a crescendoing of both of these fears right now. And one day they are going to reach a climactic state when the heavens are torn open and the Son of Man returns. When Jesus returns, both of these fears will come into their most heightened form. Again, one will be rejoicing while the other one will be seeking to hide from him. But here is the key, is that when Jesus returns and these two fears reach their climactic state, they don't just go away from there. Once Jesus comes and establishes his rule and reign on the earth, these two fears that have reached a climax will then be ushered into eternal states forever. See, hell is a world of fear, and heaven is a world of godly fear. Once Jesus comes, it will climax, and then we will move into eternal states of this. Hell is a world of the first fear, of the first Adam fear, the, the, the fear of God in this sense, the being afraid. And heaven, which we will see in just a moment, is the most delightful, wonderful fear. It's what causes the creatures and elders around the throne to be undone before him. Both of these will reach its climax and move into eternal states. And thus, right now, guys, right now, our current fears, whatever you experience, whatever side of the spectrum you're on, they're actually a foretaste of what is to come. They're actually a preview they're partial, no doubt, but they're giving you a taste of what will come when the Son of Man returns. And the question is, what fear will be in our hearts? <laughs> Let me just say this. I know, I know there's intensity here, but you need to hear this. 
hell and heaven, and I want you to stay with me in this, and then we'll close in prayers, is both worlds of fear. Hell is a world of fear. What fear? It's the fear of the first Adam. James 2.19 says, you believe in God, that God is one? He says, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. They tremble. This is what it means. This is a demonic fear. They tremble before God. Not only does it mean that they're afraid, but they, they have disdain towards God. Have you ever heard Jesus talk about those that will be cast into outer darkness and there will be gnashing of teeth? What does that mean? It's when someone so hates someone that they grit their teeth. <laughs> this is the demonic fear, a heart that is so hardened to the Lord that not only is they afraid, there's actually disdain in their heart. They despise the living God. And it says hell will actually be the ultimate sump of these fears, a heart that has so turned from God. Job 18.14 says death is the king of terrors. And hell is the eternal place of death. <laughs> so it is the place, it is the king of terrors. Hebrews 10.31 says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That's, that's not my words. <laughs> it said it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But just as, just as the ungodly fear will climax and move into eternal state, so will the godly fear. And heaven is a world of the most glorious fear. And that sounds strange at first because we've been programmed to see fear in a negative way. But I hope over these last few weeks you're beginning to see that fear is, the right fear is glorious. It's the fear that Jesus walked in. Do you know that in Revelation three times, particularly Revelation 14, 7, there are voices in heaven that right now say this, fear God and give him glory. They're in heaven. Say, no, 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 fear's bad. They can't be, no, no, no. In heaven right now, these creatures are saying, fear God and give him glory. What kind of fear? This is not the cowardly fear. This is not the pulling back from God. What they're saying is look and be filled with wonder and awe at the awesomeness of who he is. Fear God and give him glory. The, the, this is what marks the worship culture of heaven. Why are, why are creatures that are declared so holy falling on their knees before this God? What, why, why do the elders cast their crowns? Why do, why do beings worship day and night saying, holy, holy, holy? This is what godly fear looks like. It's, it's a burning love and a delightful tremble before him. Listen, listen to this psalm, Psalm 22, 23. It says, you who fear the Lord, praise him. We say, what? You fear him, you will praise him. Yes, this is the godly fear. What goes on in the throne room? It's the most ultimate expression of praise. Why? Because they actually have a right fear of God. So when we come in this house and you see people clapping their hands, you see people dancing, you see the flags going, I want you to know this is a picture of actually the right fear of God. <laughs> and this is what marks heaven. And when heaven comes down on earth in the end, this is what will mark this earth. It says, you who fear the Lord, praise him. And you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, stand in awe. That's why the elders cast their crowns, because they're in awe of the one that they're looking at. Psalm 47 says, clap your hands and sing with loud shouts of joy. Why? It says, for the Lord is to be feared. <laughs> Once again, when we clap and sing with loud shouts of joy, you know what we're responding to? The one who is to be rightly feared. <laughs> this is the delightful tremble. Psalm 19.9 says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. There is a fear that is meant to endure forever, the godly fear. You know that one of God's names, Jacob actually called God 
In, in Genesis 31, he said he's the God of Abraham. And rather than saying the God of Isaac, he said the fear of Isaac. Genesis 31, God's name is literally the fear. Why does Job 26 say the pillars of heaven tremble? Because it's the home and the dwelling place of the fear. He is forever dwelling there, and therefore everything is shaking, being undone by the glory and holiness of the one who is abiding there. And one day, in its fullness, it will come on this earth, and we too will join in for all of eternity. This is the delightful fear of the Lord. <laughs> and so God's heart, God's heart is that all of us would be set free from the wrong fear, and embrace the delightful fear of God. And I want to I wanna leave with this. Caesar, could you come and play keys? Would you mind? I feel like this is just pretty intense. You guys like, okay? <laughs> it's, it's intense, guys, but it's the real thing. Jesus is going to come back, and everything is going to tremble. And I, my heart is everyone in this house. And when we minister to others, we would get them to embrace the glorious fear that God wants us to walk in. And God's will is that we would all embrace this ecstasy of delight at his coming. And some may say, based on all that you shared, this seems pretty simple. Why would anyone want to remain in that old fear? And there's two reasons why that may connect with your heart if you find yourself on the wrong side of this. And then I want to pray God's going to set you free. <laughs> like you're going to be his. Everything that was meant to be put on us was put on the Son. And he's right now calling out, today, if you hear the Lord's voice, do not, do not deny it. Today is the day of salvation. And I found that there are two primary reasons why some do not come out of this ungodly fear. And number one is because of a misunderstanding of who God is. What I have found is that Satan loves to work in half-truths. He loves to present God in truth, but only part of it. And in Romans 11, Paul says, consider the goodness and severity of God. And what I have found, and what you need to be careful of, is when we elevate one above the other. But what Satan does is he loves to drop one of those from, from the conversation. And in this particular discussion, I have found that he loves to drop the goodness of God. And what he wants you to know is that God is severe. What does that mean? that sin really does have a penalty, that God really is just, and that there will be a payment. But what he does not want you to know is that the goodness of God, yes, said there will be a full punishment for the penalty of sin, but also then stepped down off of his throne and paid the price for us. What he does not want you to know is that Jesus, in his goodness and his kindness, took what we deserved so that we could have new life. And that it is the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. And in Matthew 25, this is what I see happen many times in the heart of man. And it's, it's in Matthew 25, there's a parable of this man who gives out talents, which is essentially money. And one of the men that received the smallest amount was not faithful to steward with what he was given. And when the man returns to ask what he did with the talent given, he basically said, I didn't do anything with it. The man said, why? And he said, I was afraid of you because I knew you to be a severe man. This is the mind, this is the tricks that the enemy plays. He wants us to see only God as someone who is wholly just 
and not see the goodness of God and what he's done for us. And what happens is we stay in a place of saying, I was afraid, so I never came to him. Beloved, I want you to know that Jesus has removed every barrier, every single barrier for you to know him. But what happens is just what happened to Adam. I don't know how long Adam, is it literal days? There's all different thoughts, but nevertheless, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. He tasted the goodness of God. And one day when sin hit the heart of Adam, he was now tempted to begin to think that God was cold and harsh and he hid from him. Can you imagine God coming up to Adam and saying, Adam, where are you? Well, I was afraid of you. Adam, I'm the one who's walked with you. What has happened? And God called him out of hiding and clothed him, which is a picture of what Jesus has done. So I want you to know that, yeah, sin is real, but so is the cross. And so is what Jesus has done. And, you, and I want you to know that everything, everything, is death the king of terrors? Yeah, but Jesus took death for us. Is the wrath of God real? Yes, but it was poured out on the Son. Everything that was meant to be put on us was put on the Son so that we could come out and be set free. And one other thing, and I think this is really important, and honestly, this doesn't just apply to someone who doesn't know the Lord. I find this in my own life as a believer, but so often I see people not coming out of this sinful fear, this being afraid of God, because of the fear of letting go of sin. You say, what do you mean? C.S. Lewis called this, uh, he called this the dread of holiness. And I want you to hear this. I'm going to use something from one of his books. If you've never read his books, they're fascinating. But he has one in particular called The Great Divorce. And in it, he portrays this world that is gray and dark. <laughs> it's void of life and color. And it's representative of this earth, but the true state, if we could see with the eyes of the Spirit, this is what we would see. Oh, it's covered with glamour and glitter, but actually there are those who are still dead in their sin. And he says there's one particular man who's very ghostly looking. That's his true state. And this angel called the Burning One comes up to this ghostly looking figure who has this nasty lizard on him called the Lizard of Lust. And this lizard is wreaking havoc, whispering lies into his ear. And this angel, the burning one, comes up and says, let me remove this lizard from your life. And the man shouts out, no, if you take it, I will die as well. For his whole life has been wrapped up in this thing. And even though it's killing him, if he removes it, he said, who will I be? My identity, my life history is built in this thing. And finally, finally, he lets the angel, the burning one, take the lizard and throw it on the ground. And when he throws the lizard on the ground, the lizard is transformed into a mighty stallion this white, beautiful horse, and the man who looked so ghostly was transformed into a man of valor and stature and bravery. And it says he hops on the horse and he rides away in victory and freedom and in liberty. The very thing that had him in bondage that he was so afraid to let go of, when he opened his heart to the one that wanted to remove it, he recognized on the other side was something glorious. On the other side was what his heart always longed for. So look, I just, I just want to give an opportunity. I know this can be intense for some, but I just want to give an opportunity before we close in prayer, pray for anything else, that if there is anyone in this house, in this place right now, who does not know the Lord, who has never come to really yield their life to Jesus, I just want to make that available right now. If there's anyone in here 
All I'm asking is for you to come forward. And if there's not, then so be it. Come on, brother. Come on up. Come on up. Yeah.